What's up? Welcome to the Union Fitness Podcast. I'm uh, Jared, the better looking host. This is Curtis. Thanks for tuning in, guys. <laughs> so, Kurt, what are we going to talk about today? I the intro music. <laughs> what are we going to talk about today? Um, so, today, we have some video breakdown. So, if you are... Um, if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple, make sure that you go and check us out on YouTube at Union Fitness um, because you're going to be able to see the footage, be able to see us break down these videos so you know exactly what we're talking about. Um, but we're going to start off with this first video is my on, buddy. We need to toast real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got, a, we got Chris in the yeah. podcast. Now we're ready. Yep, we're good. That one stabbed me a little bit. Uh-huh. I got a, I got a crystal in the finger. Whew. All right. All right, Good man. old moony cap, guys. Mm-hmm. Now we're ready. All right, so starting it off. Starting it off. First video, uh, one of my buddies from back home. I met Jacob um, probably three or four years ago through a mutual friend. And he got into powerlifting. And, um, you know, he kind of he kind of came to me and was asking me questions and advice and things like that. So... Off and on, um, I've been working with him for the last couple of years. Not necessarily coaching him per se. Um, he does a pretty good job. He just he comes up with some ideas. He'll send them over to me. We'll we'll look over them, and he'll go from there. So he's 18. Um, he has a 500 pound squat right around. He's got a 500 pound deadlift, and I think he's got right around a 300 pound bench press. So for an 18 year old, he's pretty Heck strong. Heck yeah, that's um, awesome. Now, Greg is a very good uh, physical therapist back home. He's helped me a lot. He's done some dry needling and and uh, stuff like that on me, and he's the real deal. So Greg was working with Jacob, and um, it, Greg did this this squat, body weight squat movement screening on Jacob, and it kind of it kind of showed some some underlying issues that he's had going on. Now I will say, and Jared and I talked about this. These are these are things that aren't necessarily seen that easily under load. Right. You yeah. said you said if Jacob would have would have done this holding a twenty five pound plate, you may have not seen it quite as yeah, much. Yeah, it might right? have fixed itself a little more. Yeah. So like ankle mobility is a huge issue. Okay. Um would it be like your hip mobility, internal or external rotation. Um, even like a motor control issue. So we've talked about like loading and squat, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times when you hand someone a weight and let them like give them a little bit of load, what happens is the muscles like fire better, like mm-hmm. they turn on a little better. Sure. Um, and it might correct itself a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so that just means like in his warm up, you, you would have to like figure out what's not firing appropriately for him to do an appropriate body weight squat in his warm up, you address that. And then you should see a carryover and a fix into, um, like when he actually like okay. does his body weight squat and then a loaded squat. So yeah, what will, what we're going to do, like we're going to, I'm going to ask you kind of what you would prescribe him a little bit, but first one question, he actually had a really good question for me. And I was like, look, man, you know, don't beat yourself up. Um, there are a lot of people that experience this. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a majority of people that experience something along these lines than, you know, they even realize. Yeah. Um, now, what could potentially be the cause of that? Is, is this something that maybe they've been experiencing throughout their whole lifetime and they don't really realize it until something like this? Or is it something that shows its face after competitive lifting for a while? It could be. I mean, yes. Okay. <laughs> so, like, yeah. a lot of times when you have, like, 
something that significant, like that, that shift, for example, it could be due to like an injury history he has, depending on like, even like what kind of sports or things he did, like if there were certain biases towards one side of the body, like if you ever look at like pitchers shoulders, for example, like Mm -hmm. their throwing arm is like really weird compared to their non-throwing arm, Mm -hmm. right? Like the scapula is usually like depressed and like all over the place Mm -hmm. and they have crazy external rotation, almost no internal rotation for some of them. So, um, based on like what his history with sports or activities or whatever is and also like if he ever got injured that could play into it because you do like start to your body has an amazing way of compensating to still do what you want sure and you until you have somebody actually look at you or you start to have pain you never really think about it right um yeah okay now it so like we know that as humans we are not perfectly symmetrical right like every everybody has maybe a, a small imbalance one side of the body is would oh, that be yeah. true? i mean everybody's yeah yeah so could that be something like just over the period of courses of events and um especially if if you lit if you're lifting it's not going to be something that's going to show its face early on but would you say like the more you progress the stronger you get um the more it can it can be exposed um or no i'm gonna I'm going to have to say kind of no. Okay. And my reason is, like, if he would have, say, for example, he has, like, a true leg length discrepancy mm. where one leg, like, the bone on one side is actually longer than the bone on the other. Um, he would have lived with that his whole life. Like, his body would have compensated in some way. And, like, he probably won't have pain. He'll probably move, like, pretty evenly. Have you ever heard of uh, Lamar Gant? Yeah. The power yeah. lifter. Yeah. With, uh, he, had, he had the meanest scoliosis ever. Yeah. Right? And he deadlifted, like, 660 yeah. pounds or something. Like, um, he was, uh, he, I, I want to say he was like 132 or 148 pounds, maybe. Yeah, and he he could squat like a wicked amount. Check out of, that one on the right. Yeah. Yeah, like he's he was super strong, and you know he was born with a scoliosis, and he just decided to strengthen his back, and like he was good, right? Yeah. So like, that's an actual like true like deformity that he had and yet he could still lift and lift pretty evenly yeah. like if you watch him squat and stuff it doesn't look anything crazy right. you know so um usually with something that you would see with jacob is from like a potential injury or like a motor control deficit or mobility issues or okay all of the above okay yeah i guess we're gonna we gotta uh i, I love watching the Gant lift it's just it's cool yeah so he was very like a, a very much unconventional style lifter, you know, like the, like, look at his setup, mm-hmm. you know, like most people would watch a video of him lifting right now and be like, Oh my God, that's terrible. You know, that's terrible form, blah, blah, blah. But the dude was, he was working with, with what he had. Yeah. You know what I, I, mean? I mean, the reality, I mean, he's not, not too terrible. So I don't know if that's actually, <laughs> if that's a actual, uh, x-ray of what his spine looked like but if they sh- if they show a video from behind you can i mean he was so dense with muscle yeah if you just look body. up images of the guy oh yeah. here's a good video but if you just look up images of the guy like there's pictures of him like flexing and stuff you can see yeah you can see it in his like. shoulders but that's what i mean yeah you know he he was good <laughs> yeah yeah definitely now so if if jacob walked in to your clinic mm-hmm with the issues of, of what he has right now, mm-hmm. what would be your first steps with him? Uh, so 
as far as like screening him out goes, as I said, we want to look at ankle mobility. Mm-hmm. We want to look at his hip mobility. Um, if those don't clear out, then that's what you want to address, right? Mm-hmm. So with ankle mobility, it can be like a tissue like length deficit. So sure. like if your calves are tight, right, mm-hmm. especially your soleus, or if you like, you know, you're going into your squat, you feel like a pinching feeling in the front of your ankle. That's usually an ankle mobility deficit. And you want to do like a banded joint mobilization, for example, to get that. Um, With the hip, you want to make sure you have good internal, external rotation. Um, You know, if your mobility is limited going into internal and external, then like stretching, like hip airplanes are good or hip 90-90 stretching is good to kind of help get that hip internal, external rotation and like learn to control it through your range of motion. if like all that clears out, then we're going to check and see like, you know, comparatively side to side, like what does his strength look like isolated for hip abductors, external rotators. Um, and then okay. if, if there's like a difference there, you kind of address that. And, yeah. Now one, one question. And um, this is something that I think a lot of lifters don't really understand or don't realize. Would you say that a majority of, people who lift and power lift have um, uh, overabundance of external rotation or internal rotation? Wh- which one is, is usually weaker in lifters? Oh, internal rotation, super weak in lifters. Everybody like, push your knees out, push your knees out, push right. your knees out. And a lot of times you see hip problems because people don't have any strength or range of motion into internal rotation. Sure. And when you're trying to dunk your squats, I mean, <laughs> you need that stability in your hip. So, yeah, exactly. So kind of like, why is hip internal rotation still important as a lifter when we are told that we need to externally rotate with everything whether it's if 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 we're bench pressing we're um, externally rotating in our hips if we're deadlifting we're externally rotating into the floor Mm -hmm. when we're squatting we're externally rotating you know so why would we need to internally rotate so just strengthening your internal rotators is going to build the stability of your hip i think a common misconception is that when we are like externally rotating to perform a movement, right? Like, so like your, your glute max is a very strong, it's a very large muscle and it's an external rotator of the hip. And that's a, a big part of where that comes from, right? We want our, our glutes to fire um, like real hard for mm-hmm. all of our movements, but the other muscles don't turn off. Like if they turned off, you, you wouldn't, your hip would not work correctly, right, right. you know? So like yeah. they have to work to stabilize your hip. So if you don't work to strengthen those, you're not going to have stability in your hip as much and also if you lose that range of motion like as you go down into a squat if you don't have good hip internal uh internal rotation range of motion you know you can start to develop things like hip impingements Mm -hmm. and um yeah so like making sure that you have very strong hip internal rotators is very very important yeah now what are some what are some things you could do to work on that because i mean a lot of people who would listen to this you know wouldn't understand the um, the importance of hip internal rotation let alone how do they get it yeah so i mean like you can google like just even how to do like a banded hip internal rotation exercise it's super easy it's mm-hmm. kind of like a geriatric exercise you do in the clinic but it works yeah, so seriously yeah. like you just you it, it works if nothing else it'll kind of get them activated your hip internal rotators you know aren't as big or strong as the external rotators right. for the most part but like at the same time, they're still very important. Mm-hmm. Um, so like just getting a moving, uh, the hip 90, 90, like people know that as a stretch. Um, my coach had me start doing, uh, my coach, Rob Polenic, brutal iron gym, mm-hmm. give him a little shout out. Yep. Um, 
he uh he had me doing hip 90 90 lifts i had when i was having like some hip pain mm -hmm. um i had some internal rotation uh limitations on my hips and i started doing lifts from that position and oh man yeah it, it's rough yeah it's kind of like doing a i don't know like a bridge but you're in the 90 90 position you just push up and back down right right yeah so okay so you just touched on a little bit about you know what your coach is having you do mm -hmm. with that being said you know um how is your training going into this meet we had you know john one of our good friends loyal member of union fitness um owner and operator of at war athletics check him out check him out he will be at the meet here in uh in a little less than three weeks mm -hmm. selling shirts so uh come by and see him but he asked me you know what what is the difference in my training style and jared's training style because we're we're doing separate meets but uh one week apart so um I think it'll be interesting us kind of, and I've never really talked with Jared about the the type of program that he's doing or anything like that. And Jared hasn't really, like we see each other train, but we haven't gone into detail. So this is, you know, this is something we've never really talked about. So, you know, what is your style of training? Does your coach have like a certain philosophy when it comes to training? Um, you know, at this point, this close to the meet, are you pushing it really hard? Are you backing off a little bit? You know what? Yeah. So, so I think normally we we do a pretty good push going into the meet. Um, helps me build confidence going into the meet. Like I like to be able to move heavy things go, like before a meet because mm -hmm. like I'm confident when I go in there. Mm -hmm. um, this meet prep's a little different. Uh, with I just got a lot going on like work and planning a wedding. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of traveling. Uh, so my training hasn't been able to be like my consistent schedule sure so my coach is very patient with me which he always has to be because i'm probably not an easy person to train him yeah, I, yeah. uh now i never go off program i swear but uh and you decided to do this meet kind of last minute right yeah it was super last minute yeah, yeah. okay i so wasn't that... gonna do it and then because of the wedding planning stuff and then i realized that i probably wasn't gonna be able to do a meet for a pretty long time mm-hmm so I'd like to just, you know, I wanted to get one out of the way, yeah. get it in, do it. Um, so yeah, signed up for it, but, uh, we were hitting it pretty hard, progressing really well. And then like lack of sleep, life stress, stuff like that caught up, mm -hmm. started to like my training started to drop off a little bit, um, as far as like quality. And so we've backed down on like the weight and stuff and focused a lot more on like my recovery. Good. So, Good. um, yeah. So like for example, this was, uh, like this week, for example, we had some, like last week and this week, it's like light squats. Uh, mm -hmm. we did like deadlifts were like kind of heavy, but mm -hmm. nothing too crazy. Um, this is my first time flat benching. I was dealing with some AC joint pain issues okay. and we did a lot of incline work, a lot of work for my like scapular strength. Mm -hmm. Um, it finally like cleared itself up. So I finally started flat benching again, mm -hmm. which is nice. Right. Right. Um, and it, I don't have any pain with that, which is good. Um, so yeah, so for me, it's right now it's literally week to week based on okay. what my schedule looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I've I've had some of the best meets like that. Mm -hmm. You know, like you can have the the I don't want to say one of the worst things, but you see it a lot where somebody's like, "All right, man, um, twenty weeks out, or um, eighteen or sixteen yeah. weeks out." And I'm going to do this, and it's going to be perfect. And everything's mapped out, which is good. You need to have a plan, yeah. right? But there's always roadblocks. There's always things that pop up. Mm -hmm. So you can't have your mindset on sticking to that exact plan, especially for that long a period of time. It's very easy to get burnt out. Yeah. Especially if, you, you know, if you're just 
if you're a regular person who you know has a full-time job you know maybe you have a family mm -hmm. maybe you you do things on the weekends like 16 to 20 weeks of a full-blown like training for a meet trying to be trying to go all out for that whole time that's disaster you know yeah. that, that'll wear you down so some of the best meets i've had were kind of like a short window short window meet you know mm -hmm. like 10 weeks even eight weeks so yeah. i mean there's something to be said for it but there's a lot of unknowns in your mind yeah yeah you know? god bless my coach i mean we like he's literally helping me like week to week almost workout to workout just mm -hmm. because of like my schedule has just been all over the place yeah so now so with your main movements your squat your bench your deadlift mm -hmm. are are they kept at pretty high volume for most of the time like are you do are you doing um you know five to eight reps on your main movements or are you keeping it like five and under currently yeah or so, even even leading up to this point um i think we didn't really go above five for anything uh squats we kept to like singles doubles triples i think mm -hmm. um right now i'm pretty much doing doubles on everything i'll hit some singles uh this week on squats i did doubles today on deadlifts mm -hmm. um yeah we really haven't gone above. I respond pretty well to reps, I think. So we did a lot of a lot more volume work on the deadlift, but we still keep mm -hmm. it to like no more than five. It's just a right. lot more sets. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, what about your what about your work that follows the main movement? So your assistance work, your accessories. Do you guys do a lot of that? Like, what percentage of your of your entire training session comes in the form of your main lift, and then what percentage is assistance and accessory work? Oh man, I've never looked at it like a percent. It's probably like 50-50. I don't okay. know. Yeah. I spend a decent amount of time uh, on my main movement because I like mm -hmm. to focus on like the quality of the movement. Mm -hmm. um, and then my accessories, I try to focus on them and like do what they're meant for. But I also like really like to push those hard. Yeah. Um, I like to leave the gym like dragging myself out of there. I don't know. That's just how <laughs> I like to do it. Well, that that comes naturally from like why did you start training in the first place? You know, like that—that mm. that never goes away. Yeah, it doesn't matter how far you get into being competitive. Like, you always want that same feeling. Yeah, that you that you got out of it when you first started. Yeah, so that's normal. Yeah, you just have to balance it a little better, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but like, uh, like a big focus for I think this meat prep for us has been um, like my quad strength. Okay. And or just strength, and also kind of being able to like push into my knees a little more when I squat kind of like because I and you know this from watching me squat when I squat I tend to just like shoot my butt backwards and do a stripper squat mm -hmm. a lot of times because um, I'm I got a bubble butt and I got chicken <laughs> legs so very confident in my butt not so confident in my chicken legs um, but we've been we did a lot of like uh, like narrow stance like low on the leg press uh, mm -hmm high volume like leg presses he'd have mm -hmm. me do like a 16 rep max and then we would just keep that same weight on there and i had five sets i got a minute rest in between and it was you have to try to get as close to 16 as you can every right, set right. and it was horrible i think just i got work. like four by my last you know yeah. my last set but like it translated into my squat a ton mm -hmm. like over a four week block my squat improved tremendously i think mostly from that good um and it helped build the confidence in my my deadlift too mm -hmm. um i think it really helped me build tension like into the bar like pre pushing down through the floor and everything sure. so yeah okay. that was a big focus on, on this prep cool what cool. about you how are you prepping into your meet because you're you're not too far out either um th right around right around three weeks so what's different about this meat prep that 
you know, I haven't been able to experience over the last year or two because of injuries is just being able to push things a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, a little bit more than normal because the small kind of nagging injuries and issues I've had over the last one or two years have prevented me from, you know, really, really training hard, Yeah. you know, and my workouts were always structured around what was I able to do at that time? You know, so mm-hmm. what what could I do to still be able to train and still be able to accomplish the things that I needed to while trying to avoid whatever injury I had? Yeah. So, like, I've never really front squatted in my entire life. You know, I mean, I messed around with it when I was younger. But my last meet prep, it was one of the only things I could do that didn't bother my hip. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn how to front squat and I learned how, had to learn how to push my front squat. Now, it helped, but ideally, that's not really what I want to do when I'm six weeks out from a meet. Yeah. I want to be a little more specific. So um, this is the first time in a few years that I've really been able to just put my head down and, and say, okay, this is what I got to do. This is my goal each week, mm-hmm. and I'm going to push it, and I'm going to try to accomplish it. And this meat prep, I'm, you know, I'm hitting I'm, – I have weights in my hands and on my back right now that I've never had um, at this point of a meat prep. That's cool. And it's really cool. Right. That's but, cool. but you're in your mind, you're still in the unknown. You're like, man, is the same thing going to happen to me as it has over the last couple of years? Like when I get under this bar, is something going to pop? You know what I mean? Yeah. So you can't think like that, but you do think like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's yeah. natural for everybody. So, um, you know, that's, that's where I am right now and it's fun. But I'm still, I still understand that there's a bigger picture than training. Like the meat is the big picture. Mm-hmm. Training is just you're you're getting the tools together to be able to compete. So, I would say you know, um, over this meat prep, I've been training in blocks. All right. So like, and it's all it's it's progressive overload within a block. So, I might do four weeks to six weeks, working on a weakness that I have. Um, so, you know, if, for example, my, uh, upper back in my squats and even my deadlifts, that's usually when the weight gets heavy, that's one of the first things that kind of starts to, starts to give a little bit. I so, hear that. I mean, a majority of people, right? Yeah. So, you know, when the weight gets heavy in a squat, when you're coming up out of the bottom, if your upper back is not quite up to par, it's going to try to fold you a little bit, right? It's going to, that bar, that weight is going to try to do what it wants to you. So, you know, in the off season or, you know, um, at the very beginning of meat prep, one of the main things that I focus on is heavy safety bar squats. And that safety bar is high up on your traps and the way that the bar is cambered, it kind of pulls you forward, right? Terrible. Terrible, right? So that was, you know, that's four to six weeks of working on a weakness. Then based off of that, you say, okay, we took care of that a little bit. What's next on the list? And a lot of times um, for me, a big thing is producing speed at the beginning of the lift and carrying it through the entirety of the lift. And that's a lot of people too. And that's where I I think it's, it's always something that I was, that I heard when I got into lifting, move weight fast whether it's light, whether it's heavy, whatever. And it just kind of stuck. Um, so, you know, one of my favorite tools that I like to use are chains. And I think uh, they might not be for everybody, but I think I think everybody can benefit from them, if that makes sense. 
So with chains, you want to work on producing more force throughout the range of motion. So for me, um, you know, in a deadlift, very explosive off the floor, um, right around the knees tends to get a little hard. So that's where right where those chains start to kick in. So again, speed work, I do a block of speed work with chains. You can either progress in the chain weight each week or you can progress in the bar weight and leave the chain weight the same. Now, what, when would you progress like bar weight versus chain weight? Like if you're training a client, for example, or with yourself, whichever one you want to talk about, like, yeah. when do you do each? So I think that the less experienced lifter um, doesn't need a lot of accommodating resistance in the form of bands or chains. I think you can keep that very minimal because I think it's as a, if it's a new stimulus that mm-hmm. they've never experienced, you only need a little bit of it to get the desired effect. So if I have somebody that's a, a 400 pound deadlifter, um, and they want to, they want to put, you know, say 25, 50 pounds on their deadlift, we'll first address the technique, starting position, um, execution, tightness, stuff like that. And then once they have that down, most of the time they need to start building velocity, building speed. Yeah. So then I'll add, say, two chains. Two chains. Shout out to my boy. So we'll add two chains to the bar, starting off with, say, 50, 55% of their max in bar weight, and then kind of progress in bar weight each week, mm-hmm. not necessarily throwing on a bunch of chains. Um, because those chains, they can get heavy real quick. Yeah. And they hit hard when they start hitting. Now, a more experienced lifter will will start with a little bit higher percentage bar weight maybe, maybe 60%, mm-hmm. and then throw on like two more chains each week. Um, now, that's not set in stone anywhere. That's just kind of my philosophy. Yeah. So Clearly um, it works. So, you know, going into this meet, I did up until six, six weeks out from the meet, I did speed work from the floor – I, you know, I, I have a, my best deadlift is seven, seven seventy, and I didn't use over 500 pounds, mm-hmm. but we were adding chains, right? So I'm working on producing speed, um, being explosive, working on good positioning and then letting that chain weight kick in. And how much chain weight did you end up using? Um, uh, I think around 160 pounds. Like at your, like top yeah. sets for whatever that block was right so right. that the heaviest session of that block would have been um right around 500 pounds plus 160 pounds of chain you know so i'm moving 660 pounds for a couple reps so i can because i've been doing it for a while i can base my my progression and where i am and where i need to be based off of how that moved and that just comes with experience yeah now do you play the song do you chain hang low as you on the way to the gym. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, just get, making sure. Gets my mind right. You know <laughs> what I mean? Um, so, yeah, the moral of the story, um, it's all kind of block training based off of yeah. what my weaknesses are and, and what my needs are. So, um, but we're going to go back to Jared's training. We have some video footage. Now, is this, is this squatting? So this is, I haven't seen these yet. Yeah, so, yeah, your first time seeing them. Yeah. Um, so, this is my squats from Monday. I uh, had to do them right after work. I didn't eat for like eight or nine hours before I went in. So oh, boy. It was a little rough, um, and I'm still wearing my polo from work. But uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to work for this one. I had, I had Josh Conroy there help me out, which is good. Um, He's so reliable. So we have we have a video from the side here. All right. Now, what, uh, what, kind of per, what percentage of 
you know your max right now are we working with uh i don't know actually i don't know what the percent would be okay so this is 385 um my best in a meet i think has been 440 and in the gym i hit 465 not that long ago so okay so we're gonna you know we'll watch this and then i'll kind of give my input a little bit i've seen jared lift multiple times but i i've never really sat down and watched a video of him lifting so what I'm saying is Jared's starting position is great. He's in a good position as he's going down. He drives his hips back. If I, if I were to critique him, um, when he hits the bottom of the squat, it's almost like that textbook picture that you see of a squat. So right, right there, like if you look in textbooks, that's, Thanks, man. that's pretty close. I would say a little bit more forward knee travel. Um, but you know, that, that's pretty close. Now, if I were to, you know, work with Jared, I think one of the main things he could benefit from are developing his hips. And I would actually have Jared do, you know, a block or, or even a couple months of box squats. And the reason we would do that is we really want Jared, Jared, he said earlier, he's got, he's got a big old butt. So we want him to be able to use it. So right now you see it kind of shooting back. And I think his I think his quads are pretty strong. They might be stronger than he thinks. And I think they are initiating that squat. So you can see his legs trying to go into extension from the very beginning. And when we think of our hips, we want to think of it as uh, this is an analogy that um, my good friend Casey always, always used on me when I was learning how to squat is a door wedge. When a, if we want, if we put a door wedge um, underneath the door, the door pushes up a little bit. So if we think about our hips as a door wedge and our upper body as the door, if we shove that wedge in, meaning if we shove our hips in and get them stronger, they're going to propel our sternum up and our chest up out of the hole. So if we can turn Jared's hips into a wedge, um, we can get him to come up in the same position that he's going down. So I would... I would do that. I would probably do, um, you know, a couple months of box squats. And on those box squats, I would have him probably in a little bit wider stance. Actually, you have a pretty pretty wide stance. So this is really narrow for okay. me. I used to squat really wide. It actually started to bug my hips a little bit. Um, okay. But I used to squat really wide because it was felt good to just pretty much do a hip extension to right, do my right. squat. Yeah. Um, and so I brought it in, and I felt a lot more pop off the bottom. Okay. Which is why yeah. I, I, like, I like it a little more. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, with those box squats, we're, we're working on sitting back, loading up the hips, and then we're initiating the squat by driving our sternum up as the first movement. So we want to kind of simultaneously drive the sternum up as we're driving through the floor. And um, box squats are a great way to teach that. And I think that the side video was like my last set for that day. I don't yeah. remember. I think it was. Yeah. Um. But he, he, keeps his, he keeps his back nice and tight and loaded. You can tell by his elbow position. And you can tell he has a nice, a nice broad chest and a, and a nice high sternum on the way down. Um, so just a couple things to work on over time. Let's see, let's see the front one. That's a great, good Got starting the old position. Curtis view here. <laughs> yeah, every everything. I, your your knees are tracking good. They're externally rotated a, a, a good amount for for what you're doing. I think maybe one thing. Um, so that's narrow for me, just so you know. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, I think maybe your hand position on the bar 
um, if you if you adjust that because it, it looks like your wrists are nice and straight which is what you want you don't want your your wrist cocked back you see that a lot of times I used to be like that I think we all were at one point with our wrist cocked back we're not able to get our our back and our lats engaged we can get our uh, our hands in a nice tight position relative to our shoulders and we can get that bar in a little bit lower position, which is more advantageous, but it's not necessarily gonna engage the meat of our back or lats. So with your with your wrist nice and straight, it's, it's good, but I think in that position, your hand position on the bar, um, I think it's it's not allowing you to get those elbows in and externally rotate the shoulder and, and by your side. It looks like they're back just a little bit. Mm -hmm. But overall, that it's a really, really good base to start with. I think just just building a couple things. Yeah, so if I put my hands wider, I don't have enough meat back there. I have to pretty much high it. bar <laughs> squat. So, <laughs> Well, let's high bar. I, I did have to high yeah. bar for about a year uh, because of my hip injury that we had talked about previously. Right, right. Um, yeah, I had to high bar and front squat only for a year. And it actually turned into just front squats for almost a year. And then I could switch into high bar. Did a meet high bar, actually. Yeah. And then it was within the last year, year and a half, that I was only able to low bar again. Okay. Okay. So, cool. Cool. So, yeah, a couple couple things to work on. Yeah. Right? And this is, yeah, guys, keep in mind, this is a work in progress for everybody. The the best athletes in the world are still fixing stuff. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So, All the time. Um, what, what's our next one? Uh, do you want to check out my bench? Yeah, yeah, let's do Check let's out do my bench. bench. So this is my first time flat benching in, I don't know, two months at least. So this is 275. I did four sets of two. I think this is my last set. Mm -hmm. That's my beautiful fiance spotting me there. Shout out. Look at his legs. Thanks, man. Yours are pretty good too. Um, so, so what I'm seeing, what I'm seeing is you have a good setup. Oh, thanks. You have a good arch that's coming from the, the thoracic area, not the, you know, not your lumbar. Believe it or not, incline bench helped me a lot with that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it really showed me how to get my lats tight. Okay. I have cool. a bad upper trap compensation, which uh -huh. is where a lot of my AC joint pain came from. Okay. And coach threw me on the incline bench, really focused on getting my lats tight and I think yeah. that's part of the awesome. Now, what the the only thing I'm really seeing is just as that bar, and the reason I see this is because every time I watch a video of me benching, I see it is getting a little loose right as right before that bar touches your sternum, and then kind of letting it go, um, like letting it sink in. Yeah, yeah, and it's not necessarily sinking. You can see you, it doesn't really sink. But it's like we relax a little bit. So we let our back relax. And you can see when you go to press, your legs turn on. Yep. And that's something like you see really big, strong guys that do that. It's because they have so much meat and so much mass. What are you saying? I'm tiny? You're you're huge. You're a 308er. Thanks. Um, but bigger guys than that. Okay. Um, they can just kind of use all their muscle and their mass to, to propel that bar. Um, but guys that are that are built like us that aren't really huge we need to keep those legs turned on the entire time so um think of it like a like a gas pedal in a car right mm -hmm. this is a, another another one of casey's analogies here when that when you unrack that bar you're like 50 to 60 percent gas pedal right you're like you're trying to maybe pass somebody on the highway see right? what they're made of 
calling them out a little bit, yeah. right? Um, when that bar's coming down, you're putting the gas down a little bit more, probably 80%, 90%. And then by the time that bar meets your, your chest or your sternum, you're 100%. So you're not waiting until you press to be 100% gas pedal. It should be 100% gas pedal by the time you touch. And then it's like that bar is just hitting a trampoline. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're so tense and you have so much elastic energy stored that it just goes. If, if, we, are, if we have that timing off, if we wait until we go to press to be 100%, sometimes we miss that, miss that spot. Right. And that should also save you from lifting your butt off the bench too, right? Because you're yes. driving your quads straight back the whole way yep. through. So, yep. so um, that's the only thing I really see. I mean, that was that's a that's a good solid bench, and that's that's why you have a strong bench. Um, so we got a deadlift now. Yes. Yeah, so this... these were from today, okay. right before we came in here, actually. Um, yeah. So this was actually my. I was only supposed to do four sets of two today. This was actually my fifth set because on sets three and four, my thumb was ripping. And I taped it up. and the Darn tape, hook grip. Yeah. Who does that? I don't know. I'm cheating both ways. Hook grip and sumo. That's Look right. at me, huh? Uh, I'm about to strike out. And a belt. Come on. I just tried that out, actually. I've never deadlifted with a belt. Yeah, I remember you saying that. But, uh. Yeah, it, it, it looks like, um, and I don't, let me know. Um, I remember months ago, it might have been a year ago at this point. I think I said something to you. I was watching you deadlift one Saturday in here. And I was like, hey, man, when you go to leave the floor, shove your head back and then carry it through lockout mm-hmm. and pull it back. As soon, when that bar breaks your knees and when you start going to lockout, pull your head back. And I remember that day your lockouts were a little bit fuller. Mm-hmm. And, and right there it looked like they were just a little bit short. Yeah, and um, I think that's just I wasn't able to keep that tension in my upper back. Yeah. I didn't feel like I had that lat tension today. Uh, like. Yeah, it just wasn't great. Normally, my upper back doesn't break down like that at this mm-hmm. weight. Um, so, what? Another thing that I just noticed, kind of your, you didn't do it on that second rep, but it was more your first rep, your head position. So right there, I know I know you're not ready to go yet. This is when I like to start really getting everything in line with the bar behind the bar. I mean, I know you're setting your grip. Once that grip set. I really like to start kind of packing everything, getting the eyes up a little bit. Some lifters can do a really good job at kind of looking down out in front of them and still pulling themselves back. But I think a majority of us need to kind of get our eyes up and our head back a little bit. So rate, that's not terrible. That's that's actually pretty good. But I think if, if you could bring your eyes up and almost work on pulling your head back into your traps when you initiate the pull, that would probably carry you through uh through the lockout and it might help keep your upper back in a little bit tighter position but i think i mean overall i would you say your deadlift your best lift yeah 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 it's the one that you just want to do every day yeah yeah (laughs) i just want to pick stuff up yeah that's it i mean overall um overall they all looked they all look really solid i think i think the the one that that just needs a little bit extra love and it's with me too um you know it's been a work in progress squat but, you know, there's a lot of things that affect a squat. I'd say more things affect a squat than any of the other movements. I think there's more, there's more moving parts. And, um, you know, we talk about leverages. We talk about limb length, things like that. Um, 
guys who are a little bit, you know, long femurs, longer legs, um, a little bit lankier, don't have a lot of meat on our bones. Those are my people. <laughs> I still consider can I can I be part of that? I still consider myself in All that. All right, club. I'll give it to you. Right? Yeah, you only got a couple more pounds for you out of it though. Well, that so that's why like I'm 240 pounds, but I'm not built like a lot of 240 pounds. No. Not at all. You see, like mutants at two hundred and forty pounds. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm still, I still see myself down with you. Okay. Oh, please don't come down to my weight class. <laughs> so, um, you know, longer limbs, not as much mass, are going to have a little bit harder time with with squats. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I do. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, I think that's normal. Um, you see, big, broad dudes like. You know, stumpier, shorter legs, a lot of tree trunks for legs. They can have their feet like what seems like a foot apart, mm-hmm. drop straight down. They're they're perfectly up and down. Per- perfectly vertical in the torso, drop straight down. You know, uh, trampoline hamstrings off the calf Bunch muscles. Of jag offs is what they and are. just go through the roof. And um, I'm saying this because I'm jealous. All right, I'm not bashing, but um, that's you know we don't have that in our advantage. Nope. So I don't know what just made me think of this. Probably because I was, I was mad about how well they do. Mm-hmm. But um, sumo versus conventional. For deadlifts. Su- su- sumo cheating. Is sumo no, cheating? God no. Why? So why do people say that? So people say it because it shortens your range of motion. But, I mean, I think mo- the majority of world record deadlifts are conventional, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to go off the range of motion argument. Uh, the biggest bench presses in the world those guys don't even really have an arch correct right so they're going through a full range and they're close grip Mm -hmm. most of them are close grip yeah um when you're you you pretty much go for what's strong right the only reason i actually used to pull conventional the only reason i pull sumo now is because uh, in grad school i was deadlifting and i like hurt my back and sumo was the only way i could pull without pain Mm -hmm. after like a couple months and i just stuck with it right that was really just it that's it I just stuck with it. I can pull conventional pretty similar to what I can pull mm. sumo. Uh, which is good. Which is, I think it's extremely important to be able to do both of them. You know yeah. what I mean? I you want to test and see what I can do. Yeah. I, don't, I don't totally know, but I'm pretty close. I know I'm pretty close. Yeah. If uh, I could chime in there for a second. We have an expert deadlifter. Uh, I'm not an expert deadlifter. However, a man who shares my name, uh, Josh Squats, as some of you may know him, who's seen in Jared's video, uh, famously – thought he he really messed himself up on a first deadlift attempt he was pulling sumo he skipped his second went didn't even warm up and on his third pulled conventional and yeah. he beat the lift he was supposed to hit on sumo that, i think that's how it should be in the same meet he had trained yeah. sumo all the way up to the meet and then switched mid mid like you know final pull of the day to conventional and hit it well that's ballsy first of all that, that's, yeah, you that's, know what i mean yeah. like it 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 takes it takes a lot to say, all right, whatever, we're going to do this. And mm-hmm. I respect the hell out of that. Yeah. Um, it's something that I've always kind of had in my mind. Like, hey, you want to – if something like that happens, what are you going to do? You're just going to be like, ah, I'm done? Or are you going to at least give it a run and see what happens? Yeah. And I think that's why it's important to – whether it's bench pressing, training close grip, training wide grip, whether it's um, squatting narrow stance, wide stance, whether it's deadlifting, sumo stance, conventional, be able to do all of it. Because the one that you don't do is going to benefit the one that you do a majority of the time anyway. Yeah. It, it's not, nothing but good is going to come out of it. 
right? You're going to learn a lot. You're going to get stronger. You're going to develop muscles that were underdeveloped. Um, so, you know, that's what you got to be able to do. The the greatest powerlifter of all time, Ed Cohn, if you go back and watch his deadlift videos, you'll see some where he's routinely pulling 800 pounds, 900 pounds in competition, some conventional, some sumo. Mm-hmm. And it's because he always trained both. He always kept them close enough that depending on how he was feeling, um, he would be able to do whatever he needed to do. You know, me personally, if I train – Technically, my sumo pool is a little bit better than my conventional. Um, Mine too. Yeah. But if I push my sumo pool hard and push my squat hard, my squat suffers because my hips. Mm-hmm. It just it beats up my hips, and I have I have nothing there. For, beats up your quads a lot, too. Uh, from the bottom of a sumo, that's quad dominant right there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's one of those things, you know, if I decide that um, I want to pull sumo again in a meet, then I'm going to have to, you know, vary how I'm training it in, in training. You know, maybe I only train it the last six weeks going into a meet. Yeah. Or maybe I train it uh, at the beginning of the meet prep and then switch to conventional. And then maybe the last one or two weeks do like dialing in. You know, there's there's a couple ways. But, um, you know, there's only like 20 pounds difference, I think, between my conventional and sumo. I bet you I'm pretty similar to that. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think the people that, you know, if you go online, if you go on Instagram and social media, a majority of the people who are mad and say that sumo is cheating are the people who can't do it. Yeah, and also <laughs> I think the people who, yeah, I'm not going to get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but uh, either way, like with a maximum effort attempt, no matter what it is, you have about, I think it's like 10 seconds that you can exert like absolute maximum effort before your body's like mm-hmm. crapped out. So... No matter what your range of motion is, like if it's a shorter or a longer like range that you have to go through, that's the amount of time that you have. So based on where you're strong and where you're confident, like you're good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So train your weaknesses. Train everything. You sumo's know, not cheating. Sumo's not cheating. Tim Conten, uh, Contos uh, last week said, earn your weaknesses. I like that. Yeah. Needs I mean, to be on a shirt. It, it probably, he's got to have a shirt. No, he's the yeah. he's the AD at uh, VCU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, smart guy. He's been doing it for a long, long time, and he's strong. I don't know if I think he used to compete. I don't know if he still competes, but um, yeah, earn your earn your weaknesses. Um, you have to, that. You got to train what makes you uncomfortable. You know, like um, there's a post today, and it was you know if you're weak at if you're weak at um, if you're weak at doing push-ups. Do more push-ups. Do push-ups. I've seen people bench press like 400 pounds but can't do like 30 push-ups, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, if you're weak at pull-ups, do your pull-ups. I love pull-ups. You know? That was one of the best things that came out of quarantine. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I didn't train. I don't know about you, but I didn't train for like two and a half months. And I was, believe it or not, I was running, <laughs> jogging, all right? But I was jogging like a couple miles, one to two miles, which mm-hmm. I hadn't done since my soccer days. I was doing pull-ups, I was doing push-ups, and I was doing hill sprints. Nice. And, like, it, it, it obviously didn't hurt me. Yeah. You know what and I you mean? you probably felt pretty good to change it up it a little felt, bit. It felt really good. Yeah, that, yeah, I was the same way. Like, I I could do – I had some kettlebells and some bands, and so I just did some body weight stuff, yeah. band stuff, kettlebell yeah. stuff. I was real jittery, though. I think I'm just, like, a high-energy person. So well, you are probably drinking coffee all day, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of good things came out of uh, – you know, a lot of things were learned during quarantine, I think. 
But guys, if you have videos that you want us to break down, yeah, that'll be awesome. Yeah, send them in. You know, they can be body weight stuff like Jacobs. They could be uh, loaded movements like like Jared's. Um, whatever you want, send them to us. Uh, you can send them through our Instagrams or the Union Fitness Instagram, and we'll get a hold of them somehow. Um, or if you have any questions at all, feel free to to shoot away. Um, we're always we're always looking for ways to help however we can. Yeah, and don't forget if you're listening to the podcast to check up check out the YouTube video if you want to see the videos that you know we broke down today. Yeah. Um, see what we're actually talking about. So you're not yeah. just listening to it. Right. <laughs> Highly recommended. Yeah. So, you got anything, man? That's it, man. Josh, you got anything? Guys, thank you for everything. Thanks for chiming in, tuning in. Um, you know, like we said, send us over some stuff. Let us know what you want to see, and we will catch you on the flip side. Catch you in a couple weeks. Take care.